Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of One Vision. Today, we're going to change up the content a little bit. It's Brad and myself, and we want to spend some time to talk about embedded finance. Seems to be a hot topic of late in the last few months. Um, we keep seeing it coming up in articles. People keep talking about it in various conferences. But one of the questions we keep getting asked is, what does embedded finance mean, right? Two years ago, um, we had PSD2. There was a lot of talk, a lot of effort around open banking. And now we have embedded finance. So Brad, let's start off with what is your definition of embedded finance and what's the evolution between open banking to where we have right now? Yeah, well, you know, embedded banking or embedding finance is really about sort of removing the friction of banking and embedding banking services across multiple applications. So this idea that, you know, today banking as a service or open banking, if you compare the two, it's about banks trying to extend their arms, right? It's about fintech companies trying to take the place of certain parts of banks and being able to leverage the financial transactional data behind it. Embedded finance is taking banking and sort of pushing it to the back and pushing it to the back of a workflow of grabbing a taxi or getting the service to clean your home or booking tickets. The idea of payments or extension of credit or the building of savings or the creation of investments, those type of things fall naturally and sort of into the background therefore being embedded into a person's daily life or a function of the business that is not going to be as pertinent to the banks or a payment company if that's all they're doing. So if you if you go back and you talked about open banking a little bit, PSD1 in 2007 and open banking and PSD2 a couple of years ago was really about the data, about opening up the data and potentially opening up this competition to non-bank players or to bank players that were outside of traditional Wall Street, Main Street banks. What's interesting about this evolution is that we're stripping out what banks do and we're embedding it through code into anything we want and into any place that we want. And that's unto itself really interesting. So one way we could look at embedding finance is that it requires this holistic approach to tie the function of money into the value system of a person's life, which is more than a feature of someone's application workflow. So the difference then between what we've seen in open banking and sharing more data around your financial transactions is this more holistic and embedded amount of finance to embed bank-like services to better enable the lives we want to lead. And it carries our hopes and our dreams and our ambitions from the bottom line of a banking provider or a bank itself to the more long-term goals of the individual. Yeah, I think Anthemus released a report around that, and I really like their definition, which is very, very similar to, to exactly what you just said, is instead of having finance on the internet, we are creating an internet of finance where all the sectors can become finance enabled, 
right? Everything is driven around activities that we do and how our businesses and economies work um, rather than financial services being it by itself. Um, and it's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Um, as, as you say, we are sort of unbundling all of the different things that we used to do with a particular financial institution, um, just like how we used to do UB, right? You know, when, when we were growing up, I still remember um, when I thought of a bank, um, it would be a piggy bank. Um, I still remember one of my favorite ones, it's, it's a, uh, a metal piggy bank where I would put all of my rat pocket money because um, we used to give each other cash um, for holidays and birthdays and New Year's. And I would put the cash in the little piggy bank. And that was me growing up as a child. When I think of bank, it's this little piggy bank. Um, and then my parents would bring the little piggy bank to this big giant place. And we just keep doing it. That, that was my, uh, that was how I thought of an institution. And then fast forward when I moved to the US, my first experience with a bank was very different. It was first day in college and you see desk and then you see people urging you to sign up for a credit card because that's how they lure you in as part of this new community that you belong to with zero um, percent interest rate, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, as we've known, that's also a way to get a lot of um, young adults into debts because we have such an easy access to credit, but yet how many of us actually got a sort of financial education, if you will, and knowing how we're supposed to spend our money. You know, one of the things that's interesting about your first experiences with banking growing up, especially in this country, is it revolves around a physical branch. And growing up, I always had a savings account and I would put money in my savings account from little jobs that I did, you know, when I was seven, eight, nine. Um, these were delivering newspapers. Next couple of years after that, I was like doing everything from helping people like mow lawns. And I was eventually doing house painting even when I was a 12 and 13 year old um, painting entire houses by the time I was 13 and 14. So all of that money went into one place and it allowed me to build a relationship with people down at the bank branch. From probably seven or eight years old, I would take my bike, drive, don't drive, <laughs> bike down to the branch and deposit money into a passbook savings account. And the equivalent now is, you know, having a digital account across either an app or potentially a bank itself and starting to slug money away, you know, taking all the cash that you have, digital cash, and putting it into that savings account. But the difference in relationship between growing up, you know, decades ago and now is that you generally had most of that relationship in one institution. And that institution that you chose tended to be the one that your parents banked in. So imagine the confusion now with children where their, their parents may have 15 different financial relationships. And imagine embedded banking where the relationship centers around an application and banking sort of falls to the wayside. So we have to make sure that as we continue to build out the business model of banking, regardless of what that looks like, that we think about that relationship. And what does that relationship mean between the East and the West? I mean, what are your thoughts on that?
that that's interesting. So first of all, thank you for reminding me. I do need to set up a digital banking account for my children, because um, as old-fashioned as I am, I actually did drag them to a bank branch, um, <laughs> and they had a physical um, account right there. They know that that's where mommy goes, and next thing you know, their money disappears. Um, but talk about East and West culture. Um, it's it's fascinating to see how things have changed or, or evolved, if you will. Um, so if we take, for example, Grab and Gojek in Southeast Asia, where two of these um, big super apps, if, if you will, they both started off as ride hailing platform, right? Pretty much like the Uber and the Lyft in the US. And slowly as they evolved, they realized that the people that are on the platform, they are the micro entrepreneurs that do not have access to formal financial services, that don't really have anywhere that they could get microloans if they want to expand their business. And so next thing you know, what those two companies did is they started venturing into finance, not because they wanted to be a bank or financial institution, but more so because they realized that is a big gap that they could help close. And so Grab has um, been offering Grab financial uh, loans and whatnot to micro and medium businesses. Similar story, of course, as we know, um, in China with Alipay and WeChat, where a lot of their customers are small businesses and micro entrepreneurs. And if you look at how that whole model has evolved out in the East, none of these four companies are banks as the way that we traditionally we think about as financial institutions growing up they are technology companies and where financial services is just part of what they do and the center of their services the ecosystem if that's an overused word is about what consumers do right they are connecting with other friends on social media they are using the app to go pay for something in the store or online um, they are getting their wealth management advice. They are getting access to insurance in a lot of cases. So the rest of the function, the saving, and and all of that is just becomes part of it. Yeah, I, I think you know the the more that traditional banking services become a utility and sort of fade into the background, we have to think about how that relationships with customers changes. In Silicon Valley, you know, they they talk about users, and a lot of fintech applications talk about users. But I think a lot of the super apps realize that they're the central hub of applications that surround someone's life. And as these new, you know, sort of business models and super apps continue to emerge and build functionality that includes banking, what we're doing through that is allowing consumers and small businesses to combine those day-to-day -day life needs and business functions into a single application that meets almost all of their needs. Now, that in itself is fascinating. And when you think about, you know, that in terms of how it relates to long-term relationships, it's just going to continue to develop really, really interesting sort of broader tangential non-financial experiences that may have a financial component. You know, that's, that's what's sort of missing in this East-West sort of question around who will be the sort of Wests um, or the U.S.'s and Europe's at least sort of take on this super app. I just don't see it happening because culturally, there's a lot of difference between collaboration and a society as one between Western and Eastern nations. And so when you think about you know, 
a, a super app model may include the extension of credit into businesses so that you could build your business out and do more for your customers, right? While that may be true for an Amazon or you know Facebook or one of these providers and what their goals are, it seems like the difference is that Silicon Valley is building more moats around their value proposition as opposed to expanding it, being more open and realizing that the pie of not just profitability, but the pie of relationship is much, much broader when you allow more people in. Yeah, and, and I think what is interesting to your point, if we look at how it has evolved um, out, out in the East, right? A lot of times when we thought about Alipay or WeChat, we would think about QR code, a payment method, if you will, right? And so when we see um, challenger banks or fintechs try, or big techs, if you will, trying to quote unquote replicate that, all they can think about is digitizing the credit card. But that's not the only thing, right, isn't it? Because it's, it has to go beyond just payment. It has to go beyond just the convenience of being in a phone, on a phone, that consumer can use to pay for it. As you say, there are much more that consumers do in the, in the daily life than just about payments. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, te the technology companies, especially Facebook and a few of these others um, that we're sort of used to on the daily basis are looking at banking as simply an extension of their business model, you know, to embed banking services, part of the strategies and the way that they monetize our data. And the, the business of banking, of interesting savings and investment and day-to-day -day bills and payments and what people are using that credit for, you know, they're buying houses, you know, they're, they're, they're buying big things that mean something to their lives beyond banking. These are things that, that matter. You know, you can't treat, money and and your business the same way that you can personal data you can't use it for a gain just to have it an extension of your business model because it's different the way people think about money is different the way they value money is different because money really means their life it represents so much more than just you know i'm exchanging my location to get my 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 map um, most optimized it's, it's a lot different than that Yeah, I think one part that they tend to forget is um, it's not just the ones and zeros, right? It's not it's not a destination, it's the journey. It's literally dreams, aspirations, things that they need to do. Um, and, and one funny joke we heard last week is, um, I believe it was Liz Lum who asked, do consumers really care if we call it open finance, embedded finance, open banking, et cetera, et cetera? And, and the answer is no. Consumers can care less what we want to call it. All they care about is they have one or two things they want to do, they want to get to, and money is just part of it. It's in the background. It facilitates the act of getting to something, um, getting something done. And what's, what's interesting, if you think about that, um, Paul Oberman, um, a good friend of ours, for those of us, uh, for those who have been listening in our show, he posed an interesting question yesterday. If you look at, for example, one of the big techs in the US, the way they think about evolving their ecosystem of products and services, they are starting to merge into a family concept, extending their products and giving it, putting in the reach of 
the children as well as older adults. And, and that caught my eye, obviously. Um, we start thinking of things as a family unit, acknowledging the fact that different people have different needs and hence different variations. We need to think about creating a package of service. Now, that's a big tech company doing it. And, and Paul's question is, why don't people think about the same way in the West in financial services? I think that embedding finance requires a more holistic approach to tie the function of what money does into the value system of a person's life, which is it's more than a feature of someone's application workflow. It's more than, you know, dropping code into an application and saying, oh, I've done my banking part. I'm, I'm done. Um, I, again, I think the more time you spend at looking at the models that are evolving between uh, geographies, it's really, really fascinating to think about what is the end goal of some of these companies? You know, why why do companies like Amazon and Facebook and, and Apple and Google and others want to get into this? Well, it's because of transactional data for, for many of them. And it's because they want to sell ads. It's, they cannot get out of that model. They can't see that extending credit actually allows someone to build their business up further. Or, or if they can, they think of that in a silo, much like banks do today, especially in the West. So we need to get out of this idea that relationships are siloed, products are siloed, human beings are siloed, and business models you know, need to reflect that because they shouldn't be a model. What they should do is look at the greater good, which is to improve the lot of everyone in society, to think about the longer term, and to really, you know, regardless of how you call it, what you call it, how you apply it, think about how banking can be made better by making the function of banking better. I, I can't agree more. And, and I think one of the mentality, and, and hopefully we are, as an industry, slowly getting rid of is that it's not it's not a zero-sum game right it's not about the fact that if you create this big shiny new toy it's going to be so amazing that it takes over the the big banks and your success is how many banks can you defeat that it cannot be the end game because i think there is a role for each of the ecosystem player to play and if we look at how that model has evolved again, out east, is not only you can serve consumers better, not only you can be an integral part of their world, their lives, but you can also play a role of digitizing banks, incumbents, and help them get there as well. Because again, I, I believe like what you're saying, we can make the pie bigger. And, and I think, you know, in the end, we'll all be better off. Just taking a look at, you know, the CB Insights uh, FinTech 250 map, there are so many different little companies everywhere that serve different function. Do you think, perhaps, somehow, in this ideal world, we might see one big company that will be active as the role as the quote-unquote super app instead of having, like, 250 of these yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we recently wrote an article about sort of embedded finance and the way that we thought about it. And 
what we what we said there was that these 250 sort of top fintech companies are sort of across the board in terms of what they provide. And could you, might we, see one of these companies, um, like we see in the East, serve you know one point some odd billion people or five billion people or everybody into one application? And and yes and no, but it's like the 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 problem when you have so many companies doing very similar things is that. They each have their own executive team. They each have their own sort of value system. They each have their own uh, goals. And venture-backed companies have a lot different sort of long-term or short-term thinking compared to publicly traded ones. Publicly traded ones have the pressures of quarterly earnings. When you think about, again, the value that's at the core of a company, and you think about what these services are and how they're going to evolve, it doesn't have to be one as long as it makes sense for people's lives. And as long as there's not more extraction of value than there is value exchanged in return. And, you know, that's, that's what we always talk about is when, when we talk about the future of banking, whether it's embedded finance or banking as a service or, you know, 100,000 companies or 5,000 companies or two companies, what matters is that people's lives are fundamentally improved that people have savings and investments and from one generation to the next are lifted up. And so, you know, this is what we're seeing change very rapidly in the East with more than 600 million people being brought out of inability to even access the financial system. So, you know, let's, let's see where this goes. But again, whatever you call it, what matters is what does it do in the end for people? Absolutely. It's not just about creating access is helping them build wealth, is helping them get closer to where they would like to be in their lives. It's about creating new opportunities for businesses. It's about enabling dreams and aspirations. Um, it's about, that's the premise. It's about making lives better for each and every one of us. Um, and it's been 50 years since Milton Freeman's um, free market manifesto. Um, I know that we have friends who love it, and we have friends that who think that needs to be rethought. Um, I think of anything that we have learned in the last few months, especially with the pandemic, is that we have an opportunity in front of us to do better. We have an opportunity in front of us to change how we've been conducting businesses and how we're thinking about our profit models. We have an opportunity to rebalance our work and to refocus our attention on all the stakeholders instead of just shareholders. So if anything, I hope that with the technology that we have and like Brad say, whatever we want to call it, we're going to rebuild with more purpose. We're going to look at who needs help the most and let's put our collective brain together to get there. And so with that, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you next week.